Welcome to the Engineering Career Conversations. I'm Krista Downey, Director of the Engineering Career Center at Cornell University. And I'm Tracy Nathans-Kelly, Director of the Engineering Communications Program. We are excited to bring you this forum where we will host lively conversations that we hope will inspire you. Welcome. Today we have with us Caitlin Stanton, a computer science graduate. Welcome, Caitlin. Hello. It's great to be here. Excellent. It's great to have you. And this week is a special week. I found on social media that you just got promoted this week. I did. Yeah, it actually happened yesterday is when I got the news. So moving up in the world. (laughs) Excellent. Congratulations. Well-deserved, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah. So can you start by just telling us a bit about your current work? Yeah, so I work at Cruise. I used to be an associate software engineer. Now I'm a software engineer. Really exciting. And I specifically work in our embedded systems department on the kernel frameworks and accelerators team. Lots of words. But the summary of what I specifically do is each person on my team owns a component within the car. Um, because Cruise is a self-driving car company, meaning that if you ever go to San Francisco, which is where I'm located, or I believe somewhere in Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona, and then we just start in Austin, you'll see these cars, these orange and white cars driving with no driver behind the wheel. And that's us. Um, we do it for ride hail. So like Lyft and Uber, but then we also do grocery delivery. And there are various components in the board or in the car to make everything run. And I specifically own the soundboard, meaning that all of the like random tones that the car emits, because, for example, we're an electric car. So we have to emit a sound so people can actually hear us. And so the engine is silent. So responsible for that, for being able to call customer support if you're in the car and something goes wrong, to be able to hear an emergency vehicle so that the car knows when to pull over to the side of the road, like if the emergency vehicle is coming towards it or in the opposite direction. And I've been working at Cruise for a little over a year and a half, and I onboarded to own the soundboard. And now I actually fully own the soundboard since I'm not senior, but like senior enough to be given all the responsibilities for that. And yeah, I spend my days coding testing hardware, and making sure that my soundboard fits within the entire system of the car, which is, as you can imagine, a lot of moving parts. Yes. Yes. That's really innovative work. And I know a lot of our students are interested in this type of work and in this field. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your path and what you think was most significant in helping you to get to this place. For sure. So I, when I first got involved in coding, I first loved the fact that you could write a single line of code and something could change, right? Whether it's like a website or an app. But I remember when I first joined like the CS world through Girls Who Code, one of our projects involved moving a robot around. And for me, working on something that was tangible, something that you could like physically pick up and touch, was really exciting because it was it seemed very weird to me that you could write a single line of like basically English and a robot can go and find something. And so because of that, I did that back in high school. 
when I went to Cornell, I studied electrical and computer engineering, meaning that I was learning about coding principles, but also learning about the hardware that runs those coding principles. Because you can't just write code. You have to be able to write code on like a computer chip to be able to actually run it. Uh, and I think I gained an appreciation for all the different levels of what we call the stacks so of different types of technology, whether it's very high level, meaning that it's writing apps or websites, or it's very low level, meaning that it's like dealing with circuits and the actual physics of running a computer. And once I got those fundamentals, I think some of the most impactful work I did was in my junior and senior years of college, because when I moved up the, to the upperclassmen status, you're able to take project-based courses, meaning that you get hands-on, you're not just memorizing equations, which are definitely very useful, but I was able to take a couple classes where I was working with Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, other FPGA boards, and plug in circuits and make things light up. And there were a couple of classes where we got to come up with our own project. And it was really cool for me to do embedded systems work, which is what I do now, basically working at the interface between software and hardware. And I think as soon as I got more familiar with that, even though obviously the products I was making in class are a little wonkier than the stuff I'm working on today, it gave me, it just really piqued my curiosity even more. And I really wanted to have that kind of hands-on working at different levels of the stack perspective when I graduated. And I continued college into my master's, focused a lot more on that, made sure to refine my skills. And then when I was looking for jobs, I was like, self-driving cars. I feel like that's a really interesting problem that kind of no one knows how to solve yet. And I wanted to get involved and Cruz found me. I found Cruz and the rest is history. I love it. I love it. It's so exciting. So what's been the most significant challenge you faced in your work and how did you overcome it? It's, yeah, that's a really great question. So I'd say the challenge that I've faced at work is one that I'm actually still overcoming and I think I'll constantly overcome is uh, imposter syndrome. And I think specifically at my job, I love my team, first of all. Team is a, so good, A+. Plus. I love my manager, I love my colleagues, but I'm their first and only junior hire for my mm -hmm. team specifically. Because if anybody else studied electrical and computer engineering, I code Verilog and C, two languages that people my age tend to not like that much because they're a little bit slower paced in terms of shipping your changes. And it's a little bit, it's an industry that's a little bit older. And so I was their first junior hire, which is very exciting, but it also means that whenever I am working towards a project or in this recently working towards a promotion, it's very hard for me to compare myself to the rest of my colleagues because I literally can't. A lot of them are senior engineers. So the output that they're putting out or the topics that they're tackling are at a level that I'm not at yet, which is fine. And it's one of those things that in my brain, I think to myself, Caitlin, you can't really compare yourselves to these people. They have been working in the industry for a decade. You know, you were in middle school when some of these people got into the industry. And in my, my like conscious brain, I'm thinking that, but in the back of my head, I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure you shouldn't be doing the same level of work as they're doing? And 
it's something that I have to keep reminding myself about. And it definitely has gotten a little bit better because I've been at Cruise for over a year. I got promoted. I've gotten good performance valuations and I feel more comfortable in the work that I'm doing. But it definitely is hard to be a new grad or like a newer hire when you're surrounded by people who have a lot more experience. But on the flip side, obviously, with a lot, all that experience comes mentorship. And I think that's also helped me towards figuring out my imposter syndrome. Um, and another facet of the imposter syndrome, and again, I love my team, is tech is not very much dominated by women. It's not dominated by underrepresented minorities in technology. Unfortunately, they're underrepresented for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of two women on my team. And I think there's around 15 people. And again, love my team, have no qualms. I It is something that I struggle with because it means that not only do I not have a role model who's like my age that I can focus my like junior higher perspectives on, uh, there's very few role models who I identify with in terms of my gender to be able to show like what I can aspire to if I want to go down a manager route or I want to go towards an engineering route. There are other women within crews at different teams and in different departments who I've been able to use as mentors, but uh, no one like directly that I interface with daily. So that's also been a little bit difficult. But again, the more that I work here, the more that I like build up my career, I have felt more comfortable. It's just something that's like always in the back of my head that I will occasionally think about. <laughs> yes, you're one of those first. Mm-hmm. So you're finding mentors. mentors um, you just have to look a little harder for them, it sounds. Yeah. And like, it also, mentorship does not necessarily always have to be at your place of work. I mean, like, when you're in college, you're not necessarily working anywhere, right? And so that's also something that I've done throughout my quote unquote career is find mentors at every stage of my life. So there are a few professors at Cornell that I know if I ever have a question, I can reach out to them. I remember reaching out to a couple of professors when I was thinking about internships and I reached out to them. They gave me their opinion and that was super helpful. I've gained in uh, mentors through my internships and other summer experiences so that again if I ever have a question I know I can reach out to like a former manager or mentor and talk to them and then I also I think you don't always have to have a mentor who's like older than you I honestly rely on my friends as mentors as well because they're in different industries or maybe they started working a year before me because they didn't do a master's and so they have a little bit more perspective And I think it is something that, yeah, you have to seek out a little bit more, but also you have to broaden your definition of a mentor in that it's not necessarily someone who's going to teach you constantly. They're not going to show up with like a lesson every day and be like, this is what you have to learn this week. But instead, it's a two-way relationship where you ask for advice and they give you advice or you ask for their opinion and they give you their opinion and you're learning from them, but they also can learn from you because you naturally, even if you identify exactly the same, have the exact same resume, you're going to have a different perspective. Um, So I think finding mentorship has really been 
something that I've gotten a lot better at because I've realized that I need to broaden my definition of what a mentor is. And then once you've broadened that definition, it's a lot easier to find people because you realize like I can learn from anybody and that's totally fine. Yes. I love the concept of knowing you can learn from anybody. And I love that concept of mentorship being a symbiotic relationship where everybody has something to give. Yes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And Caitlin, you've made a habit of giving back and mentoring others. Yeah. um, Just, you know, beyond those that you seek mentorship from. Can you tell us more about this? So I got my start in tech through Girls Who Code. I mentioned it briefly before. I did Built by Girls after that. So a lot of women in tech, underrepresented minorities in tech programs. And this was back in high school. So before college even. And for me, starting my journey in technology within those communities of people who were similarly identifying as I was, was really helpful because it meant that even though I was taking computer science classes in high school and eventually taking like computer science and hardware courses in college, I had already like a community behind me. And I think had I not had that community, I it would have been a lot harder for me to pursue a STEM career because kind of similar to what I was saying about my work, there aren't that many role models, right? So like there, we have definitely gotten better at Cornell and other colleges, but like the gender parity is not perfect per major. Like I think we could definitely, we could definitely have more women faculty, more people of color on faculty and also just like students as well. And obviously it's gotten better (laughs) from decades past, but it's definitely a room for improvement. And so for me, knowing that I had that community and that was a very strong resource for me, I wanted to give people the same kind of resource because there are so many students out there from various backgrounds who don't think that they can do tech, who don't even know that tech is an option, who want to try out technology, maybe will eventually not like it, but that's totally fine. I believe that everybody should have the option to at least test it out and then figure out if they want to do it. So I did, especially in high school and college, and I'm trying to pick it up again now, I did a lot of mentorship programs for underrepresented minorities in technology. So there were a few that I did in high school that were like women focused, but then there were a couple in college I did that were um, people from low privilege backgrounds or who were doing, I believe, like an associate's degree at a community college and they wanted to transfer to a four-year university. So I did mentorship programs like that. I used to do a lot of public speaking and I want to get back into that because I do love sharing my, I love sharing my thoughts uh, (laughs) with people. And that was super fun. I did like a TED talk when I was in college and I would talk at like hackathons and judge hackathons. So for me, I think I don't have that role model for myself right now, but I do have the ability to be a role model for other people or not even a role model, like a reference of, okay, Caitlin did this. It seems possible. Like it's not going to be easy, but at least someone who I can relate to is able to do this. And it's just really special to me to be able to interact with people, whether it's in a group setting or a one-on-one setting and be able to give them at least one tidbit of information about myself, one lesson that I've learned and have them take that away and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this, whether they apply it to a tech career or something else. So 
yeah, I do. I do really love giving back to the community in that sense. And I'm really hoping to, now that I'm settled into my career, settled into moving to San Francisco and everything, I'm hoping to kickstart that back up again. Excellent. And what's one of the most important messages you've been sharing lately? I, I am a big proponent that imposter syndrome is normal. Is it fun? No. It really does. It really does suck to walk into a room and be like, wow, I don't belong here. It's not fun. But it is to an extent something that is shared by the majority of people. I think I used to have this perspective of if someone is super successful on paper, perfect resume, gets all the big jobs, straight A's, then nothing is wrong in their life. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. And I think the people who appear really cool, calm, collected on the surface can just be really frantic and questioning themselves inside. It's it's possible. Two things can be true at the same time. So I what I say to people is feeling out of place is a normal feeling. Should you feel like uncomfortable? Absolutely not. But what you should do with that feeling of I'm out of place or I, I feel like a step behind is it's an opportunity for growth. And that's a place where you can try to find a mentor. You can try to take a class or do a job in that field, or you can talk to a friend and see if you can have someone like along for the ride with you. Um, it's definitely easier said than done. And depending on your amount of privilege, it's also easier said than done. Um, like for myself, I identify as a like a white cis woman. So I already have some semblance of privilege. I'm relatively confident. So most rooms I walk into, I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm coming in. <laughs> but for someone who might be quieter or identify with another group, it might be a lot harder for them to like shake off that imposter syndrome, essentially. So I always feel look at it in a way like you might fail. And that's fine. Don't look at failure as a negative consequence. Look at it as an opportunity for growth and learning. And the more that you do that, the better you will get at like rebounding and recovering and moving forward and growing from those places where you feel like an imposter, you feel like a failure. Um, that's that's the general message I try to sh share with people because I feel like it's it's reasonable enough in most cases. That's such an important message for young people to hear. It's an important message for all of us to hear, in fact. And I will always remember that a few years ago, you wrote a blog post about not yes. getting a return offer from an internship, and it went viral as you started your senior year. Can you share a bit about this with the audience? Yeah, I used to write a blog, and I would include all of my like tech stuff. I would talk about internships. And and there's a common thing within internships, especially tech ones, that you kind of have, like 90% of the time, have the return offer like sealed. It's in the bag. As long as you like do your work, right? They're not just going to hand them out. But I remember that in previous internships, as long as I met my quota and like had good conversations with my manager and I was getting good feedback, I would get a return offer. And I remember at this internship, I was getting good feedback. I was progressing. There were some roadblocks and I wasn't able to do 100% of the project that I intended to do, but I 
kept that line of communication up. So then at the end of the summer, when I was supposed to hear back about whether or not I got a return offer, I was expecting a, we would love you back next summer. And I did not get that. And I remember I went back to the parking lot uh, and sat in my car and I was like, am I going to cry in this parking lot? And I was like, no, I'm not going to cry in this parking lot. I'm going to cry at home. And for like a couple days, I was like absolutely crushed because I was like, I really thought I didn't have to worry about this because I would have thought I would have to worry about it if someone had told me, Caitlin, you need to step up, you know, you're slacking, but I never heard that. And it also was crushing because I thought I had it in the bag and because when you don't get a return offer for a thing that you've done already, you're like, oh, was I not good in the first place? So I, yeah, definitely had moments of like crushing defeat. <laughs> but then I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a blog post about it because I'm someone who I like to journal. I love to talk. <laughs> and <laughs> for me to get my feelings out, I was like, okay, I'm going to write about it. And especially since I wanted to write a like summary post about my summer, I was like, you know, I'm just going to include this in my blog post, whatever. It's not a fun topic, but it happened to me. And if someone came up to me on the street and was like, hey, how did this internship go? I probably would mention like, oh, I didn't get a return offer. So I felt very comfortable being like, whatever. And yeah, it went viral. I was in my era of blogging a lot at the time and had posted on like LinkedIn. And I remember I opened my LinkedIn I I think this was during the school year. So I remember opening my LinkedIn probably in like Duffield or something and seeing like several thousand reactions to my post. And I was like, hmm, that's not normal because <laughs> my blog is not very big. I think maybe a couple hundred people, if I'm lucky, look at a post like within the month. <laughs> and yeah, it like went viral on LinkedIn. And then I think someone else posted it in a Reddit forum as well. And for for me, obviously there were critics there's never going to be a hundred percent of people supporting you, unfortunately, but a lot of people were responding in, in that LinkedIn post and on Reddit and being like, Oh wow. Like, I'm glad she shared this. Like I had a similar experience. Uh, and I realized that not a lot of people talk about getting rejected from an internship or from an opportunity. It happens all the time. Like I get automatic re- rejected rejection emails constantly, or at least when I was looking for a job, but no one really talks about it on, except for with like their close friends. And so for me to write that blog post, even though it was very innocuous and like a very one-off, like it's just happening. It's just me talking about my internship experience. The fact that other people were able to relate and get some semblance of comfort from that was very nice because I think at that point I was a person who was really living by my resume, if that makes sense. Like I really focused on having the best resume possible. Not like you shouldn't do that, but I really was putting a lot of stock in like the names that I was working for and the classes I was taking, the grades I was getting a little bit too much stock. And so for me, someone who looked successful on paper saying like, oh, this didn't work out for me, I think was, it was useful for me because I was, I, it allowed me to take a step back and say like, okay, it's all about what you think is important and what you think is good for your growth, not necessarily what's good on paper, but then also for other people to look at me and say, this is someone who looks successful. She's also able to have a moment of failure and grow from that. And 
yeah, it was, it was a very weird experience, but I'm glad that it happened and I'm glad that I was able to share it. Yes. Yeah. So much good came out of that in that you had this opportunity for reflection and learning and growth. You had an opportunity to share and Mm -hmm. mentor others from afar by role modeling, um, sharing a story that, like you said, is rarely shared publicly. It's such a gift to uh, many other people who read your post. And now, what else has it done? It's opened up this space for you to be in this very exciting job that you seem to love, and you just yeah. got promoted. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, it was one of those things where, like, I, I had the same perspective when I was applying to college, when one door opens, or when one door closes, another door opens, right? Like, you're not going to get everything, but sometimes, like, things might not have been meant to be. And maybe I wasn't meant to get a return offer at that internship. Maybe even though I enjoyed my summer there, I wouldn't have loved the work again. And I think now, like at my job at Cruise, I really love the work I'm doing. Could I love the work that I would have done if I had done this internship again? Maybe, but now I know I found work that I really enjoy. And I was able to do an internship at a different company the next summer and the summer after that, since I had, since I was doing a master's. So I did another internship. Um, And actually along the way, I did go back to that company for interviewing and they got, gave me an an offer for a different team. And I was like, okay, so it wasn't me. It probably was just the place and time. The team didn't have enough space. You know, I think they were looking for like a, a new grad and some, I was doing an extra year of school they were like oh sorry um obviously do I wish they had communicated that earlier yeah but it worked out for me so <laughs> it worked out really well and speaking of where you are now I wanted to circle back to your work and can you talk a bit about how it contributes to a healthier more equitable more sustainable world for sure so Cruise, again, self-driving car company. Uh, One of the biggest things that we focus on is the safety that this can provide because car accidents happen daily. I think they happen like once every like 10 minutes, I feel like is a stat that exists. Either way, a lot of car accidents happen. The severity varies, but car crashes, deaths and injuries caused by car crashes or car accidents is like a leading cause of death or injury in um, America, potentially also the world, but it's like a huge issue, right? And um, there are so many drivers on the road, whether you live in a rural area, suburban area, urban area, and it's scary. It's scary as a driver. I'm a person who grew up in New York City, so I was afraid of cars for a long time. So every time I drive, I'm like, this is scary. (laughs) But it's also scary as a pedestrian because you're like, even if I cross the street at the right time, could someone barrel through a red light? Or um, there have been times where I've crossed the street and like a car is turning and didn't see me and I almost get hit. So like everybody is in a precarious situation when there are cars on the road and sometimes it's not even the fault of the driver. There are just a lot of distractions. There's people walking, there's people biking, scooters, things can fall onto the street. I was driving the, or my mom was driving the other day and a tree fell on our car. Like things happen all the time that can cause accidents along the road. And so with self-driving cars, we're hoping that with 
ARAI with all of our sensors that we will be the like ultimate focus driving machine, essentially, because as a human, like you have to blink, you have to sneeze, you are talking to someone in the car, or it's dark out and your light, your headlights are not working properly. Whereas for our car, we use cameras, radar and LIDAR, which are all various sensors that combine all their data, go through machine learning to be able to identify like in any environment, yeah, that's a stop sign or that's a child walking into the road or, oh no, there's someone coming the wrong way. We have to kind of move to the side. And that's one aspect is we're trying to make the world safer in terms of driving, both for pedestrians, drivers, and any other living creature that exists near a road. But then in terms of environmental sustainability, our fleet is all electric. Uh, so I mentioned that like they, our engines don't make any sound because they're all electric. Um, but we are trying to replace cars on the road with our electric fleet because not only will they not be utilizing um, gas, and so like the emissions will not be toxic or as toxic, we also are, because we're doing like a ride hail service, the potential for carpooling is higher. So instead of having individual people commuting to work all in their separate cars, you can potentially have a group of people in our ride hail, um, in our electric fleet, so they're able to have no emissions and then also have like six person, people in a car. So that's another aspect of it. And then also based on the fact that like our cars are driverless, right? We do not need a steering wheel. We don't need a driver's seat. We, we're working on a car called the Origin, which is basically, a, it looks like a pod um, if you look it up on Google. And that introduces the ability to ha have community spaces within the cars. So whether that's like a group of friends traveling across the city or um, a couple of people just like sitting, taking a scenic, relaxing car ride. Or like for me, sometimes when I use the self-driving cars, I just sit in the back and I read because I don't have to pay attention because I'm not driving. And it really allows the the people within the car to not just be focused on driving, but instead be focused on like the surrounding environment or people in the car within them or with them. And it's, it's honestly really cool. And the fact that like, it's also technically like a very interesting problem to solve because again, like the road can be a very unpredictable place. There's a non-zero chance that a plane could land on your road. Are you, did you learn that in the driving test? No, but could it happen? Yeah. Will it happen? Probably not. But like our cars have to learn for those kinds of very slim chance, but still non-zero possibility scenarios that like you as a human might not be able to react to because you're like, oh my God, I did not expect a herd of cows to run onto this road, but the car anticipated them driving on or riding onto the road. And so it's able to like react in a better way. And it really does show more about like, everybody's been talking about AI, but it shows more about what we can do in the world of artificial intelligence and making sure that we're making human-like decisions because we don't want the car to be driving really jerkily, but we're also able to make those human-like decisions faster than a human and more consistently correct than a human. And yeah, it's it's a really cool job. If you're ever in San Francisco or 
Arizona or Austin, you'll see these cars and it's just really fun to even just like walking past and seeing no one behind the wheel and you're like, huh? That's not supposed to happen. (laughs) I can't wait. I am excited about the future of self-driving cars and cannot wait until I can go someplace without driving myself. Um, And so, yeah, I'm very eager to get inside of one of these cars and I might really actively seek that out sometime in the near future. So I also know there are many young people who are interested, that I work with, who are interested in getting into this type of work. You know, mm-hmm. you have a coveted position, right? And so I think about for people who are interested and in exploring what are the different ways they can be involved, what would you say are some of the people and organizations that are important collaborators toward this brighter future? Yeah. So I'd say the very fun thing about Cruise is that there are so many different fields all intersecting towards this one goal of self-driving cars. So you can be someone who is interested in like UI UX design. That's great. We have our app to call the cars. We have dashboards for developers to look at when debugging stuff. That could be your thing. If you're like me and you work at the interface between hardware and software, you can join because there's low-level code to write. There are drivers to interact with the different boards and there are various sensors that we need to make sure we get data from. If you're a, an electrical engineer or a mechanical engineer, you can work on the actual physical boards and the actual physical sensors are like the car itself to make sure that everything is working properly and that we have this in, this huge co- compute system working flawlessly. Um, and then we also have CPM, like technical product managers and project managers sourcing people who do more of the like soft skill organizing coordination that is imperative for everything to run because we have milestones to hit. We have cars to manufacture. We have factory deadlines. And there's just like a lot of people running around making sure that things get done. So I think for people who are interested in doing self-driving cars and joining, whether it's Cruise, hopefully Cruise, um, or any other company who's doing similar work, It is one of those things where as long as you find projects and other experiences within the niche that you're interested in, that's something that you can utilize at our company. So for me, like I I did have an internship at Lyft when I did have a a rideshare division that was self-driving, but I wasn't necessarily working on the self-driving cars directly. I was doing research for them. And that was useful. But then also, had I not done that internship, I had other internships where I was working on diagnostics tools for uh, internal products or making sure that like visualizations made sense to people in different teams. And that's something that I also brought to the table when I was being recruited for Cruise. Um, so it's definitely something where as long as you're you're able to find class projects or internship projects or research that piques your interest and puts you in a place where you're able to learn something technically or soft skills wise that puts you in a place where you're collaborating with a lot of people you're learning about new technologies and you're able to kind of spearhead something to the end that's kind of like the basis for what 
being able to rec- what will help you be able to recruit at Cruise and honestly most other tech companies as well because especially for something like self-driving cars there's only so many self-driving car companies or research labs you can work for so if we restricted our recruiting to just people who did that then we would not have the like almost I think 3000 employees that we have today and we would be very very restricted and everybody would be a lot older than I am yes. um but yeah, it's that's what I really love about tech is that it is once you have a focus, you can kind of go wherever you want. Like I, if I wanted to leave Cruise, I could go to a financial tech firm that works on like quant trading and needs really fast boards to be able to make quantitative trading deals. Or I can go to like a healthcare company that's working on like healthcare devices for reading diagnostics for people's um, like health stats, like. I can kind of go anywhere I want. Um, I won't now. I like that job, but <laughs> good. <laughs> but the possibilities are endless. Truly, they, they absolutely are. And you are an ambitious and curious person, and we look forward to following you. You know, seeing where you go. Um, so uh, curious, though, to hear about what do you do to relax, have fun, re-energize. Yeah, that's definitely a very important thing. I think anybody who's listening, who's a Cornell student, uh, can empathize with the need to recharge. Because if you don't recharge, you burn out and it can go very fast, very bad, very hard. It's not fun. So for me, I have made sure that, especially now that I have like a working nine to five kind of job, that I have a regular cadence to my life. So that involves, I run in the morning because I really enjoy running and that helps me feel energized for the rest of the day, even though I'm like putting in physical effort to run. It warms my mind up and it releases endorphins. So I feel like the days I don't run, I honestly feel more tired sometimes. I make sure that like I have a standing desk, you know, I like walk when I'm doing or I stand up when I'm doing work. I like I'll go and walk my dog. I try to get outside as much as I can during breaks or at least standing in the sunshine whenever it's sunny in San Francisco, because I think being cooped up in a in a room or a space is is very draining. Uh, I think everybody can relate to that after COVID and being in quarantine for a long time, like not being able to leave your house or your apartment um, was very stifling. So I try to like take little opportunities to to leave. Um, I also really enjoy making sure that I have time for friends and volunteering opportunities and hobbies, but I make sure to have a balance because if I'm scheduling every second of my day, being like, mm, from five to six, you're doing ceramics. From six to seven, you're reading a book. From seven to seven thirty, you're cooking. Like, I'm. I know myself. I'm not going to follow that. If you follow a time block method for the rest of your life, that's totally fine. You do you. But for me, like, I need to have time where I am time blocked, and then also recognize the fact that I will need time where I'm sitting mm-hmm. and just enjoying time and space, watching a movie and not doing anything at the same time, uh, making sure that like I'm trying to multitask less so that I'm focusing more on like the task at hand. And actually, if so- if it's something that I'm meant to be enjoying, that I'm enjoying it to like my fullest capabilities. And with that, it does require kind of cutting down or being 
intentional about the things that I say yes to, which can be hard because I am a person who loves saying yes, (laughs) if it's something I'm interested in. But I make sure to like regularly go through my schedule, whether it's on a weekly or monthly basis, or like even semi-annually and just say like, is this bringing me joy? Am I growing from this? Or is it stressing me out more than it's worth? Am I putting in a ton of hours and not getting anything out of it? Am I constantly feeling frustrated? And if I generally feel negative towards something, even if it is useful to myself or the world or like my community, it's not always worth continuing to do that thing, whether it's taking a step back completely or kind of bringing back the number of hours you're spending doing it or trying to set boundaries. I think that's really important. Like I have, I do volunteering opportunities where often it feels like a second job that I'm not getting paid for. And even though I do love volunteering, like I learned that I need to set boundaries because if I don't, I'm going to hate it and then I'm going to quit and then I'm Mm going to hate that I quit. And it's just like a bad cycle. So I try to do, I know that's a lot, but like I, for me, I try to have like generally a balance of going outside, enjoying myself, enjoying time with my friends and also having time where like I'm doing fun tasks and working on spreadsheets and <laughs> maybe like going to a workshop or something. Cause like, for me, I'm like, I like staying busy and sometimes my form of staying busy is going to the library, but sometimes my form of staying busy is balancing a budget for my international sorority. Like mm-hmm. they could, again, two things can be true at the same time. Okay. So when you're trying to relax, you might go for a run. You might work on a spreadsheet. Really kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> We're, we've all been there, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. So Caitlin, what's one place you go for information to stay current in your work? I love the newsletters. I try to read them as often as possible, but um, within my job, we do send a newsletter of like, these are other companies and government rulings about self-driving. So I'll like take a look, look at the news articles about like Waymo or Zooks or Tesla or other like research labs and see what's going on. But I think I also really enjoy reading newsletters about just like tech in general. So there's... I think it's like the tech brew is it's like a subset of like the morning brew newsletter. And I think it might be emerging tech brew, but either way, I like reading that because it'll summarize stuff about potentially my industry, but also other industries, because sometimes kind of what I was saying before, you can take one aspect of tech and introduce it to another. And even though it could be, it could be used in a different way, it might still be really useful. So if I notice that like, this framework is being used for advertising, but it's really, really strong in our machine learning area. Like maybe it's useful for us in terms of like generating data or like actually accumulating, like, yeah, accumulating data in some way. And so I like reading that, but then I also really love just talking to people. I think people are our greatest resource where, especially because Again, I'm surrounded by senior engineers. They're all experts in something, whether it's a large depth in one specific field or a large breadth for like owning a specific board or component. And I will often see something in like our our organization Slack, which is like our messaging platform. And I'll be like, oh, 
that's interesting. I want to learn more about kernel drivers, or I want to learn more about like user space applications, or I want to learn about more about like how cameras work. And either I'll reach out to that person and try to talk to them, or there are various like tech talks within our organization that I'll attend. Um, and it's just really fun to hear people talk about something that they're like passionate about, that they spend a lot of time on, that they're, they've introduced to our fleet of cars or to our app or to our testing framework. Um, and yeah, I think relying on other people to like share their knowledge with you is, is really great. I think it's, it's, something they can do is in as simply as a 15 minute conversation with someone or a few messages and like even just have them point you to a book or a news article and then you have like another industry to look into or another tech framework to look into and it's it's just really fun and also you just like form new connections with people when you do that it's like a fun way of like networking at the same time as you're learning um yes so that's that's how i accumulate a lot of my my knowledge, my ever-growing pile of knowledge. I love it. Excellent. Okay. One last question. If you were not doing this work right now, what would you be doing? And which is closest to what you dreamed of when you were a child? I would, so if I was not doing tech at all, I'll I'll give myself that caveat because I feel like, oh, if I'm not working at careers, I'll work at somewhere else. But if I wasn't doing tech at all, I think I would really want to be doing something in advocacy and um, giving in like community building and, uh, supporting underrepresented communities, because I feel like, or I don't feel like I know that in our current society, whether, um, if you come from an underprivileged background or an underrepresented identity, um, or have any sort of bias against you, microaggressions against you, oppressions, your life is way more difficult and there are various degrees of difficulty. But for me, it's very frustrating to see people try to break into a space and not being able to have the tools to do so, or not even being allowed near the space, for example. So I would really want to do advocacy work for uplifting those communities. Um, That's very vague because there are so many problems, but I feel like it'd be interesting for me to learn more about like, education, making sure that everybody has um, education from like New York City has universal pre-K. So like making sure everybody has universal pre-K up until college, because I think college is something that more people should have access to um, without breaking the bank. Um, And or I can do that kind of work or I can work on like making housing more affordable for people so that they don't have to worry about um where are they going to live? And so then they can focus on like education or other pursuits. Um, there's like so many different intertwined ways to bring justice to the various communities that have been underprivileged and underserved for so long. And I think I, I try to do that in my own life. Um, obviously not as like a full-time job, unfortunately. Um, but I think if I didn't do tech, I would want to do something in that in that realm. Yes. Um, Yeah. Well, with all of your enthusiasm and capabilities, I can see you tackling any number of those challenges (laughs) in the future. Yes. There's so much possibility ahead. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you. And I know Tracy's sad she couldn't be here. She's going to love listening to this conversation. 
and it's really been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been great. Honestly, I shout out to the Engineering Career Center. I was a peer advisor back when I was a master's student, and I got a lot of help there when I was an undergrad. And so being able to come and do this podcast is awesome because it's like the same community that I was able to join when I was at Cornell and then I get to get back a little. Thank you, Caitlin. We appreciate you. It was so great to have you on the show. Join us for the next episode where we will be celebrating excellence and innovation among engineers whose impact contributes to a healthier, more equitable, and more sustainable world.